It is Tuesday, May the 4th, be with you here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. We are back from renewing the annual Draft Sharks draft retreat tradition. We have landing spots for all of these players. We have rookie rankings of all sorts live on DraftSharks.com right now as we speak, only for Draft Sharks insiders, so you got to sign up if you want to get get access to those. We are ready, though, to discuss on here some of the players who made the biggest moves either up or down versus our pre-draft rankings. Jared, before we get to those guys, how are you feeling about this rookie class for fantasy? Not great. Um, you know, I, I think there were just a lot of questions coming to the draft, and I, I sort of thought we might be disappointed when it all you know, was, was settled. And that, that's kind of what we got. I mean, the, the running backs, man, we, we, we almost went three full rounds with only three running backs off the board. I think the wide receiver class kind of, you know, probably probably broke even altogether. The the quarterback class remained strong. I mean, if you need a quarterback, even in one quarterback leagues, I think you know you're you're in business with this class. Yeah, it is definitely a year to get a quarterback. It is definitely a year where I am comfy drafting a quarterback over a running back wide receiver earlier than I would have before. We had the fewest running backs go in the first three rounds of the draft since 2016. That was the class that gave us Zeke Elliott in round one. Derrick Henry in round two, then Kenyon Drake and CJ Proceis in round three, of course. I mean, Zeke and Derrick Henry is I have obviously worked out from that. Kenyon Drake's the only other guy in that group that you could kind of say worked out, and he's been really up or down. So, you know, maybe that gives us a little bit of history of what we might expect from this group. Ten wide receivers in the first two rounds. That's down from last year when we had 13 in that span. Still better representation in the early rounds over those first three rounds versus the previous the four previous drafts before last year's, but you know, that, that's still some letdown because we had such a good group at wideout last year. So it's easy to get less excited about the guys this year. And even the guys who I wouldn't call losers, who guys who I really liked heading into the draft and really who remain highly ranked in our rookie rankings, some of those guys just landed in kind of meh spots. Um, you know, we can overrate landing spot quite a bit, but even guys like Elijah Moore, Terrace Marshall, I still like them but it's not like they could have landed somewhere that would have me more excited than I am right now. Yeah, that's fair. I probably like Marshall's landing spot spot more than you. We'll get to him. The order the NFL took these wide receivers just blew my mind. It feels like all a lot of teams cared about was speed. I mean, you know, with Tutu Atwell and Dwayne Eskridge going where they did, man, it, it's, it, it was, it was crazy to me. And I think that, you know, hurt, hurt the, the wide receiver class a bit. It was, and we'll go ahead and get to the risers and it starts with Terrace Marshall and uh, I, I don't dislike his landing spot. For me, he rises just a little bit because of Rashad Bateman moving down more than anything that happened with Marshall. I already loved the profile on Marshall. I think I had him the highest among the three of us heading into the draft. Landing spot is fine to good. Robbie Anderson's heading into the final year of his contract. And obviously the Panthers believe that they upgraded a quarterback this offseason. Yeah, Marshall was 12th overall in our pre-draft rankings. He climbed to ninth in our post-draft. I mean, he, he went a bit later than expected. And, you know, I think it was because of the, some of the injury stuff. Um, but I, you know, I, I, again, I like the landing spot. He reunites with Joe Brady, of course, who, you know, was his position coach at LSU in 2019 when he, you know, went for 13 touchdowns with Joe Burrow. Panthers just an offense I'm buying. I mean, I, I still have questions about Darnold. We'll see. I mean, I, I think he's obviously in a much better spot now than he ever was 
with the Jazz. I think it's it's possible that he's their answer. If he's not, hopefully that you know they can find one in 2022. But I'm I'm just I'm buying the Joe, Joe Brady offense. Marshall has a clear path, I think, to the number three wide receiver job this year. He's going to be competing with David Moore for that spot. You know, Moore has flashed at times in Seattle, but I I think Marshall is a bigger talent if he can you know get settled in and you know. Um, being familiar with Brady's offense should help there. Um, you know, Curtis Samuel saw 97 targets as Carolina's number three wide receiver last year. So I think, you know, that's the type of ceiling volume wise you could see from Marshall this season. And then, you know, as you mentioned beyond that, Robbie Anderson, a free agent in 2022. So, you know, Marshall might be Carolina's number two wide receiver by next season. Yeah, I think my initial reaction was, uh, it could have been a better landing spot, but it's just a fine spot for all those reasons. And really, I think the big takeaway on Darnold is, even if he's not their long-term answer, it might not matter all that much. Two years ago, they had Kyle, Kyle Allen as the quarterback. DJ Moore did just fine then. Last year, Teddy Bridgewater threw, what, 15 touchdowns all season. We had three fantasy-worthy wide receivers in that offense, so we don't need Sam Darnold to explode this year to give these guys value. And if he doesn't work out, then they're probably going to move on to somebody else as soon as next year. So I I'm not downgrading Terrace Marshall for the quarterback situation there. Next on the risers list is Trey Sermon and probably not too big a riser because we did like him heading into the draft, but it's hard to argue against his landing spot. Yeah. He climbed from 19th overall to 15th overall. Um, you know, he, he was that fourth running back off the board, just snuck into round three. The Niners though, traded up to secure Trey Sermon, which I always like to see. Um, he's going to be running in a similar zone blocking scheme with the Niners under Kyle Shanahan as he did at Ohio State last year. So I, I think Shanahan probably, you know, watched that Ohio State tape and thought, you know, it, you know, this guy can fit in my system. Joins a crowded backfield in San Francisco. You know, you have Sermon, Elijah Mitchell, who they took, I believe it was in round six, Wayne Gallman, who they signed as a free agent, and then, you know, holdovers Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. To me, the fact that they drafted Sermon and Mitchell and added Wayne Gallman tells me that, you know, Shanahan wasn't totally satisfied with what he was getting from Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. So I think there's opportunity here for, you know, any of these guys to take over as the lead back this season. I think Sermon might be the most talented guy in that backfield now. And even beyond that, Mostert, Wilson, and Wayne Gallman are all free agents next offseason. So, you know, what looks like a crowded backfield now might be a lot less crowded in 2022. And you especially have to like the move up for the running back in a system that believes and has proven that it can get production out of running backs wherever it finds them. So clearly they really like Trey Sermon. And even if you can't chart the course to immediate touches for Sermon, say exactly what he's going to get right away, the Niners are just a good spot for running back production in general. Last year's group uh, finished third in the league in total running back PPR points, fourth the year before. 15th in 2018, 8th in 2017. Those are the four years that Kyle Shanahan's been the head coach there. The year that they finished 15th in that category, they started with Matt Breida and Alfred Morris leading the backfield. That was the season in which Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson emerged. Heading into that season, none of us would have been like, oh, they need to give the ball to Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. Those guys came out and gave us usable fantasy production. So again, the fact that they went up to get Trey Sermon tells me that they like him at least as much as anybody that's already there and maybe more. And I think there's upside to Sermon as soon as this season, but certainly over the next few years, I think there's a high ceiling for him. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've gotten used to Shanahan kind of cycling through backs over these past three years in San Francisco. You know, no, no Niners back has finished higher than RB 24 and half PPR, PPR points over the past three years. But if you go back to Shanahan's history before that, 
he had a running back finish top nine in half PPR in five of his first 10 seasons as a head coach. Another season, uh, his top guy finished running back 18. So he's definitely willing to go with a clear lead guy if, you know, if, he, if he thinks that's what's best for the offense. And I think it's worth noting for Sermon that there's not a, an area that he can't do. It's not like he comes in as the big back or the pass catching back. I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, 310 uh, touches a season, right. but he can do all of the things. He doesn't need to come off the field in certain, certain situations. And I think we should mention that, you know, it's going to be Trey Lance under center now. And we know that rushing quarterbacks tend to help running games. So that, that running game should be even better going forward than it has been. Yeah. And Trey Sermon certainly didn't look too bad next to Justin Fields at the end of last season for Ohio State. Amon Ra St. Brown is the next guy on the list. This one's really all about opportunity. Tyrell Williams, Quintez Cephas look like the top vets remaining on that Lions uh, depth chart at wide receiver. So, I mean, Amon Ra St. Brown obviously faces opportunity right away if he's ready for it. The key, don't overpay because he did still go just 17th among wideouts in the NFL draft. Right. Um, early fourth round pick for Amon Ross St. Brown. Still, I mean, probably my personal biggest post-draft riser. I know I was lower on him pre-draft than, than you and Kevin were. Um, I, I'm willing to kind of ignore the fact that I didn't love the tape. I mean, his analytical profile was okay. He had a strong freshman season, went for over a thousand yards as a sophomore alongside Michael Pittman. He's only 21 years old. You know, he was that early declare that we look for. He's big enough at six foot 197. He, he ran slow in the 40, but he had a nice vertical. So, you know, that, that he, he checks some boxes. Um, as, as you mentioned, clear path to playing time here. I, I think he's probably their starting slot receiver this season with, Danny Amendola gone. You know, we'll see who wins the two outside spots, but I think St. Brown should be that slot guy. And Jared Goff, you know, he at least in with the Rams, you know, th- that's kind of what he likes to target with, you know, Cooper Cup and uh, Robert Woods both playing lots in the slot. And, you know, those were his top two targets. So, you know, th- there's a chance St. Brown leads Detroit. Detroit's wide receivers and targets. I, I still think TJ Hawkinson probably the best bet to lead the team in targets this season. I agree. I think that looking at Amon Ross St. Brown, the risk is that he's like this year's Henry Ruggs and that you go in saying, I didn't like this prospect, but oh, look, he landed somewhere where, I don't know, he could lead the position in targets right away. The difference, of course, is that you would be taking Henry Ruggs in round one. St. Brown is like late round two, early round three, not that much investment. Yeah, he's up to 20th in our um, overall ranks. So, you know, still, still not a guy we're taking anywhere near round one of rookie drafts. Josh Palmer, the next wideout on this list, uh, goes to a Chargers team that's certainly capable of throwing downfield. What do you think of Josh Palmer here, Jared? Yeah, nice landing spot, nice draft capital. You know, he went earlier than I thought. Uh, he was the 11th wide receiver off the board in the middle of the third round, ahead of ahead of Amon Ross St. Brown, ahead of Nico Collins, ahead of Tylen Wallace. A lot of film guys had Palmer as like you know one of their favorite sleepers in the class. I I wasn't like blown away, and his college production was underwhelming, but. I mean, you know, again, some some smart people liked this guy. Chargers obviously like this guy. It's an offense I just want pieces of, you know, with Justin Herbert uh, as an ascending young quarterback. And Palmer has a nice opportunity here, too. I mean, he's going to be competing with Tyron Johnson and Jalen Guyton for the number three job this season. Both those guys flashed at times last year, but they're both undrafted for agents, whereas, you know, the Chargers just spent a third round pick on Palmer. So he, I think he has a chance to be that number three this season. And beyond that, Mike Williams will be a free agent in 2022. So, you know, Palmer could be, uh, you know, Justin Herbert's number two wide receiver by next season. Yeah. Justin Herbert only 28th in average depth of target last season, according to PFF among quarterbacks, but he supported three different wideouts that ranked among the top 13 
in that category. The, the difference between those two numbers, of course, was that 147 targets went to Keenan Allen, 93 went to Hunter Henry, 25% of the team's targets went to running backs. So those all brought the average depth of target down. But Justin Herbert can throw downfield. Josh Palmer can get downfield, and he's well-positioned to be a downfield receiver. The question, as you alluded to, can he beat out Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson as soon as this year? Maybe. We'll see. We'll watch this summer. Those two guys combined for 81 targets. So if Josh Palmer could turn into that guy right away, I mean, that's the kind of target upside for him right away. And as you mentioned, Mike Williams heading into his contract year, neither Guyton nor Johnson are signed beyond this year currently. So there's a chance he's immediately relevant. There is an even better chance that he's relevant as soon as next season and beyond. It's a good landing spot for Josh Palmer. And just, you know, in a range where everybody's kind of like, uh, maybe here's one thing to like about him or here's one thing to dislike about him. I think Palmer only got himself helped by how the draft went. Yep. 23rd now in our post-draft rankings, you know, back, back half of the second round, third round pick. I think Palmer makes a lot of sense in rookie drafts. Amari Rogers, much to Jared Chagrin is the next guy <laughs> on this list. I think that he looks a lot better if Aaron Rodgers does not leave town. We'll see what happens there though. Yeah, I mean, my my lean still is that Rodgers will be back in Green Bay. I mean, it's it's early May. I think, you know, th- this type of stuff tends to boil over, and, you know, I, th- I think he'll be back. We'll, we'll see. I mean, I think Rodgers drops five to ten spots in these rankings if Aaron Rodgers is not back with the Packers. I mean, th- that's that's really what you're buying is, is an Aaron Rodgers wide receiver here. I'm still not excited about Amari Rodgers as a player. I know he, he's been comped to Randall Cobb by a lot of people who, of course, you know, spent time – with the Packers. I, I think he's Randall Cobb with less juice, like less big playability, but he is good after the catch. Um, you know, he was a, you know, primary, a, a slot receiver at Clemson. Um, I think, you know, that the Packers need that, you know, Adams, Lazard, Belda scaling all primarily outside guys. So Rogers could come in and be the slot receiver right away. Um, if that happens. And if Aaron Rodgers is still there, you know, he's a guy who could be a fantasy factor as early as this season. I'm still not excited about you know, like long-term ceiling though. I'm not sure he's ever, you know, more than like a wide receiver three. Yeah. I liked Amari Rodgers better than you did because when I was watching Travis Lawrence, he just, it, Travis, Trevor Lawrence, I've already decided to forget his name. <laughs> I, I kept having these plays where Amari Rodgers jumped out, but um, I think it is worth remembering that Randall Cobb was a stud in college before he did what he did in Green Bay. So Amari Rogers might be a less proven version of Randall Cobb and maybe just a lower ceiling version of Randall Cobb. I agree. Not an exciting prospect. Certainly better if Aaron Rodgers stays there. I, I say even if Aaron Rodgers leaves, though, it's still a soft wide receiver depth chart. So Amari Rodgers could be as much as the, the number two wide out on that depth chart, um, you know, as soon as some point this season, you know. How high that pushes his ceiling, I'm not sure, but it's at least more attractive than it would have been if he waited until round four and went somebody else, somewhere else. I mean, right? He was around three pick, yeah, middle of the third round, so you know, pretty pretty decent draft capital. Mm-hmm. Des Fitzpatrick waited until round four, but then he landed in a good spot for opportunity. What do you think about him? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Tennessee was one of the better landing spots for a wide receiver, even if they are a run heavy offense. You know, and, and I think as Derrick Henry ages and, you know, there's a new offensive coordinator there that I, I think they're going to push towards the pass a bit more, but even still, you know, Corey Davis, Adam Humphreys and John Lee Smith all gone from last year's team. Those guys combined for 192 targets. So there's a lot of opportunity here, even if, you know, AJ Brown's going to take some of those. And I think he will, but you know, there's still opportunity. Um, it's Patrick six, two, 208 pounds, four, four, nine, 40. So, you know, he has the physical profile to replace Corey Davis on the outside. He's going to be, battling with Josh Reynolds for that job. I like Reynolds as a prospect. I, I I think he's probably better 
than Des Fitzpatrick, but I think it's going to be an open competition. And, you know, he has a chance to be that team's number two wide receiver this season. And I mean, Josh Reynolds, I think, is the bet to make for this season because he has several years in the NFL, but he's also on a one-year contract. So even if Josh Reynolds stays ahead of Des Fitzpatrick, maybe Fitzpatrick is Josh Reynolds beyond this coming season. And that's certainly something worth buying from a fourth round round wide receiver in, you know, round three plus of a rookie draft. Also worth noting that when the Titans took Des Fitzpatrick, Amon Ross St. Brown was still on the board. Jalen Darden was still on the board. Tylen Wallace was still on the board, among other wideouts. I mean, he's an intriguing prospect, even the production. I mean, he had 700 yards and nine touchdowns as a true freshman, um, you know, kind of disappointed the next two years, but he, he did outgain Tutu Atwell last season, you know, in, in the same offense. So, um, you know, some intrigue there, not, not some schlub. Probably stole Tutu Atwell's desserts more than once, judging by their weights too. True. Cornell Powell is the next guy on the risers list. And honestly, if you'd asked me a week ago, <laughs> who is Cornell Powell? I probably would have been like, I don't know, member of the cabinet house of representatives. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned right now, though, his name is chiefs receiver. And that's how I'm drafting. Him. <laughs> right. That that's definitely what you're buying here. The chance to catch passes from Pat Mahomes and man, Kansas city's wide receiver core is completely unsettled behind Tyree kill. I mean, we'll, we'll see what McCole Harmon can do. Um, then you have Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson. So, I mean, there, there's opportunity there for sure, even if it's, you know, as the third or fourth option in the passing game. Powell was a four-star recruit and, you know, went to Clemson, did, did nothing for four seasons. And you can forgive it a little because, you know, Clemson's wide receiver core is loaded, but, you know, still, still not ideal. Um, as a fifth-year senior last year, he did catch 52 balls, nearly 900 yards and seven touchdowns. He's six foot, 204 pounds, above average athleticism. So, you know, he has enough size and athleticism. Um, you know, he, he definitely fails as far as production goes. But again, it, it might not matter if he gets on the field with Pat Mahomes. You know, th- there's a chance he helps us in fantasy. Yeah, maybe he can be wide receiver Matt Castle. <laughs> there you go. And I, I mean, it's worth noting with the Chiefs that they pursued wide receivers in free agency this year. Mm-hmm. So maybe that says something about what they think about Nicole Hardman's development and his future. You know, it'll be worth watching this summer. Certainly anybody who winds up in the Chiefs starting lineup or seeing significant playing time is worth keeping on the fantasy radar at the very least. The last guy in the risers category might be the biggest riser for me, and it's JV and Hawkins, just because heading into the draft, I was probably not taking him at all. Now, after he signed with the Falcons as an undrafted free agent, I'm interested. I mean, that backfield is not good. Mike Davis, that backfield is so rough that people are actually excited about Mike Davis right now. If Mike Davis were actually a truly good player, then he wouldn't have bounced around to all of the teams that he's been on now. He's been a Niner, a Seahawk, a Bear, a Panther, and now a Falcon. I mean, if he were that good, one of those teams would have hung on to him at some point. As it is, I think that it's possible JV and Hawkins is a better player, albeit smaller, and thus, you know, Mm -hmm. can't take on the same workload. But I think it's possible that he's a better player than Mike Davis. Possible. I mean, uh, Davis was good last year both in the box score and you know as far as like analytics go broken tackles elusive rating that type of stuff um, I think him bouncing around speaks more of the fact that like you know if you're, if you're not a top 10 running back in the NFL they don't really care about you too much but yeah definitely a good landing spot for Hawkins you, you still got to remember though he went undrafted and like that that one makes him a long shot to have a have an impact to begin with and then as we've seen with like Philip Lindsay I mean even if he excels like Atlanta's just not going to value him that highly because, you know, he's a former undrafted free agent. So good landing spot, definitely a riser. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm not getting too excited. I think, you know, anywhere before round three of rookie drafts is too early for Hawkins. 
Oh yeah. I'm not excited either. I would say round four, round five, I think he's definitely worth a shot. We can see in late in round three, what yeah. gets there, but you know, everybody wants to say who is this year's James Robinson. I would say as of right now, nobody is this year's James Robinson. But if you're looking for an undrafted guy who has a path to be a lot more significant than you ever would have guessed, then it's Javian Hawkins to Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, let's remember Robinson and Phil Lindsay are still the exception to the rule. I mean, there are, you know, tens, you know, of, undrafted rookie running backs who, who, who do nothing. So yes, it is far more likely that Javian Hawkins does absolutely nothing. I'll be watching to see if Atlanta adds something this summer. It's just like right now. I mean, the most exciting running back on that depth chart might be Cordero Patterson. Honestly, you're right. And I'm like, I think Mike Davis is a bit better than you're giving him credit for. I mean, he's fine, but he's just a guy. Yeah. I think that people are like, look, there's nobody else there, but Mike Davis. And remember when Mike Davis helped me for three weeks last year, I mean, he's <laughs> fine, but he's Mike Davis. Yep, that's 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 fair. He's like he's like Jordan Howard, but with less commitment from teams in his history. Jordan Howard, but with some pass catching ability. I'll give you that. <laughs> All right. Let's move to the faller side because I'm starting to get negative, so we might as well get full <laughs> negative. And the first one's Rashad Bateman. And I, I don't want to oversell him as a faller because I'm definitely not on team RIP Rashad Bateman's fantasy outlook. The thing is he was close with Elijah Moore and Terrace Marshall on my board heading into the draft. I think those two undeniably landed in more positive spots for fantasy outlook than Rashad Bateman did. Yeah, we had him eighth overall as a, as a staff pre-draft, and he dropped to eleventh post-draft. And you know, I mean, we we talked about multiple times before the draft that you know Baltimore was kind of the spot you didn't want your wide receiver to go. Um, Ravens have finished dead last in pass attempts in two straight seasons. Now, you know, both of Lamar Jackson's full starting seasons. Part of that is Greg Roman, you know, the offensive coordinator. His offenses have never finished higher than 29th in past attempts. I think he's, you know, been in OC for like seven or eight seasons. My thing, though, is, and, and I get you can say, you know, you know Greg Roman's not going to be there forever, which is true. Even when Roman leaves, though, as long as Lamar Jackson is under center, that's going to be a run-leaning offense. You know, they're, 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 they're not going to become the 2020 Bills and go pass heavy. So, and, you know, Lamar's going to be there for, four, five, potentially like 10 more seasons. You know, you know, Bateman is likely going to be tied to Lamar Jackson, at least through his rookie contract. So that, you know, that just limits the upside. Hollywood Brown has led the wide receivers and targets the past two seasons with 71 and 100 targets. And that's, you know, with Hollywood Brown and not much else there at wide receiver. Now, I you know, I, I think Bateman could become that number one wide receiver, but Hollywood Brown's still going to be there. Mark Andrews still going to be there. I, I just don't think his target ceiling climbs you know much above 100 yeah maybe baltimore hopes to pass the ball more after they took a first round wide receiver for the second time in three years they signed sammy watkins they went after ty hilton and juju smith schuster in free agency they also took the next guy we're going to talk about on this list so you know maybe the ravens are looking to throw the ball more but as you mentioned i don't think that a Bills style offensive rebirth is coming here because it doesn't make sense for them the way that it did for the bills the run heavy offense in baltimore is working they finished 11th and first the past two years in total offensive dvoa so that's good the bill the bills by comparison before last season they ranked 31st and 21st in that category in josh allen's first two seasons and the Bills haven't been very good at running the ball. Baltimore is very good at running the ball. Lamar Jackson's always going to be good at running the ball. And frankly, if he gets to the point where he's not, then he's probably not going to be all that special a quarterback at that point. I'd call Rashad Bateman the best long-term bet 
to become the annual target leader among Baltimore wideouts. But Marquise Brown is pretty good. He was a first round pick. He's been pretty good to this point, albeit disappointing for fantasy owners overall. Mark Andrews is pretty good. And I still think Tylen Wallace is pretty good. So even if Rashad Bateman is the leader here, like you said, I think that the target ceiling just isn't that high. So, you know, he's still in round one range, but he's definitely down a few spots in the rankings. Yep. And yeah, well, we'll get to Tylen Wallace now. And it's really the same argument for him. The you know additional issue with Tylen Wallace is he was a fourth round pick as the nineteenth wide receiver off the board. So you know whereas Bateman really should come right in and be at least Baltimore's number two wide receiver, maybe the number one wide receiver. You know Wallace is going to have to battle with Miles Boykin and you know Devin Duvernay just to get on the field in that offense. Yeah, if Tylen Wallace had landed like in Tennessee, if he was the Des Fitzpatrick pick or if Baltimore had taken Tylen Wallace and not taken Rashad Bateman, yep. then I'd be more willing to bet on the production profile as it is. I'm like, oh, well, I guess I can't be excited about Tylen Wallace anymore. Good thing you didn't have any uh, rookie drafts before the draft and, and you know, to, to take your boy Tylen. That's right. Well, let's move on to Kenneth Gainwell, who's another, oh, well, I guess I can't take this guy anymore. <laughs> lands in Philly, lands behind Miles Sanders, who is a better overall player and a good receiving back in his own right. And, you know, including the downfield stuff that is kind of what Kenneth Gainwell brings that most uh, running backs do not. There's still room for Gainwell to compliment Miles Sanders, who has not been a full on workhorse and has had injury issues so far. There's obvious handcuff upside, but you know, like if Kenneth Gainwell had landed in Michael Carter's spot with the jets, yeah. I would be uh, looking forward to his career a lot more. Yeah, I mean, the landing spot isn't a complete disaster to me. Like, I think Gainwell can immediately take over Boston Scott's role as the change of pace back. And, and but it's also a new coaching staff, though. So, you know, we don't know how Nick Sirianni and his staff feels about Miles Sanders. You know, Sirianni, you know, coming from the Colts where, you know, Naheem Hines did what he did. So, you know, maybe that's kind of what he envisions for Kenneth Gainwell. And, you know, beyond that, Miles Sanders signed for two more seasons. But again, if he disappoints, this year again gets banged up or whatever. You know, there's a chance Gainwell can grab a bit more of the backfield work. The, the bigger issue for me is that he dropped to the fifth round. It was the ninth running back off the board. So you know, the NFL in general wasn't too high on Gainwell. Yes, Kenneth Gainwell is Kenneth Dixon this year. I mean, and and even more than Kenneth Dixon, he lands on a team that has Miles Sanders. Kenneth Dixon landed on a team where I said, oh, even though it's late, there's a clear path. That path isn't there in Philly. We'll see what happens with Miles Sanders. We'll see what the new offense says. But even the quarterback now is a running quarterback who we know historically are not great for running back targets. So uh, Kenneth Gainwell, I'm not out completely, but I'm also not excited anymore. Yep, 22nd now in our um, overall rankings. Chuba Hubbard comes up next on the list, and I think the best hope for him is that he's the clear-cut handcuff to Christian McCaffrey or that McCaffrey breaks down. Frankly, I don't really want to buy shares in either of those stocks. And I, I don't like Hubbard as a handcuff because I, I, I don't think he's going to be a big factor in the passing game. So like even if McCaffrey goes down, I don't think, you know, Hubbard's not going to take over anything close to his full role. You know, it's probably gonna be some type of committee well, still with him. I mean, nobody's going to take over Christian McCaffrey's role, but he could be Mike Davis. See that. See, I, I don't know. I, I don't see that pass catching ability right now that, that Davis had, I mean, I mean, Davis was seeing six, seven targets a game. I don't think Hubbard gets that this season if McCaffrey goes down. Yeah, I, just, I, I wanted him to land in a spot where he could come in and, you know, I never thought he was going to be a feature back, but be part of a committee where he could get, you know, 10 to 12 carries per game. And that, that's obviously not going to happen in Carolina. 
Right. I think the hope for Chuba Hubbard was that he landed some, even if he landed late in like Atlanta, it would be a nice spot for him. Or if he landed in a crowded backfield like San Francisco, he'd be like, oh, but if he gets the ball for the 49ers, then everybody produces there. So, I mean, I agree. I, I think that if Christian McCaffrey goes down, I don't see why Chuba Hubbard would be significantly different from Mike Davis last season, but that's just not something that I'm paying much for, you know, handcuffs are are sitting on our rosters until something bad happens to somebody else. That's just not a high upside purchase. Yeah. McCaffrey obviously just signed his long-term deal. He's still, you know, only 24, 25 years old. So you're, you're, you know, you're going to have to wait a while for, for Chuba to be more than a handcuff. And I mean, like a notoriously good workout guy. So even at a position where guys break down earlier at other positions, McCaffrey, you will see, but he doesn't seem like a guy who's necessarily going to follow the same path of breaking down as other running backs do. Agreed. Seth Williams, I'm just going to let you uh, talk about him. I mean, obviously a loser. I think we disagree on you know just how low to put him in the rankings, but he goes in the sixth round, which wasn't a major surprise if you kind of read. Like I, I, you know, I remember reading Bob McGinn's piece in the Athletic, and it was kind of clear the NFL wasn't big on this guy. So he goes in the sixth round, he joins a loaded Broncos wide receiver core. Obviously not going to be a factor this season. I mean, he's going to have to battle just to make the team. You know, it might be like Seth Williams versus like Tim Patrick for a roster spot this season. I'm still intrigued by the prospect. And I think it's worth noting that Cortland Sutton is due to hit for agency next season. So I think, you know, the upside, if you love Seth Williams, you could say, you know, he, he might be the Cortland Sutton replacement in 2022, you know, he has, he has that big contested catch winner. So he's, he's a very poor man's version of Cortland Sutton. Well, if you love Seth Williams, then good news. You're not going to have to fight with anybody else for the remote because you're living by yourself. Um, before the draft, Seth Williams was a, eh, maybe, and now he's just a, a, a probably not. I just don't have any reason to think he's going to be something. Yeah. 33rd in our overall ranks. Now I think, you know, you, you could you can probably get him in the fourth round of dynasty rookie drafts. I, I will be taking him there. You are welcome to Kylan Hill is the final guy that we're going to talk about here. And honestly, I think we have Kylan Hill a little bit too low after where he landed. I would rather take a shot on him than Kenny Naguanu or Elijah Mitchell. I think he probably needs AJ Dillon to go full bust. If he's going to realize significant upside in green Bay, I think that's possible. Even I'm not betting on a full bust from AJ Dillon, but I think there is room for him to be Jamal Williams. If he proves that he's, good enough to do that. And, you know, we'll see where it goes. We're certainly talking about a range where it's a, eh, maybe he can be something, but he probably won't be. Yeah. Kylan Hill's draft result actually made me more sad than Seth Williams. Cause I thought Hill was like the one potential running back, you know, outside the top three or four who, who, you know, had the size and pass catching ability to, you know, be a team's lead ball carrier and lead pass catching back out of the backfield. That, that obviously, is a long shot now. He, he he barely made it into the draft. He went in the late seventh round when you're one of the last picks of the draft, as you said, joins that loaded Packers backfield. You know, I, I AJ Dillon st- you know, still doesn't project to be a pass catching back. So, you know, Hill, as you mentioned, could capture that Jamal Williams role. If Jones, Aaron Jones misses time this season, you know, maybe Hill gets on the field that way, you know, kind of being the pass catching back behind AJ Dillon. So, Opportunity still a guy I'm intrigued by again. If you if you get into the fourth, fifth round of dynasty drafts, I still think he's worth a shot just because of the prospect he was pre-draft. Yeah, and of course, Patrick Taylor, Dexter Williams are, I believe, still in the picture at the moment. So it's it's possible Kylan Hill's not even on the roster when we get to yep. the season, but worth watching that competition through the summer because there is, you know, some 
some glimmer of upside there if he does work out. It didn't really bother me because behind Kenneth Cainwell, Trey Sermon, I was planning to be out on the running back class entirely. So once Gainwell slipped, I was like, all right, I'll see you next year running backs. He was the one guy I was holding out hope for, but no more. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now. You can check out our full rookie rankings. We've got them for one QB leagues, super flex leagues. We've got IDP rankings. We've got them combined for all those formats. And of course, we're updating the overall dynasty rankings. Now that we have the final piece to these prospect puzzles, we'll be back on the Draft Sharks YouTube channel, Twitter, and Facebook Thursday night to run a three-round rookie mock draft with special guests Hayden Winks, Matthew Friedman. So be sure to join Jared and me there. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at Draft Sharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShoutDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Small and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. <laughs>